All right, this morning we, uh, yep, it's going to be one of those kind of mornings for sure, for sure. Uh, let, me, <laughs> let me say this. You'll notice that we're not in Romans, okay? We're not in Romans this morning. Uh, but recently in our verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans, we have seen that the Apostle Paul has uh, been confronting the issue of spiritual, of spiritual or religious pride on the part of the Gentiles in the church. And if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you've seen that, you've heard that. And as I've said before, this uh, type or kind of pride is basically a feeling of superiority one might have for having attained a place in the people of God because they think that they deserve it more than someone else does. Now, my dear friends, that is clearly, clearly a foolish notion. A foolish notion. For according to God's word, no one, no one deserves to be part of the people of God. No one. And salvation has always been a matter of God's grace, his unearned and undeserved favor. But you know what, beloved? Pride turns people into fools. As I said before, and this is a quote from a sermon from a few weeks ago, you might remember it, I said, how easy it is for us to say we believe that salvation is totally dependent upon the grace of God. Wouldn't we all say that? We'd be right in saying that. But to act as if we somehow deserved it. We often view, and this is one way we do that, we often view unbelievers with disdain looking down on their unbelief, mocking their moral and spiritual darkness rather than weeping for their souls. This looking down on the unbeliever is nothing but foolish spiritual pride. You know, someone told me once, and I've said this before, that sharing the gospel with someone is in a sense simply one beggar telling another beggar where he got his bread. Now, what I want to do today and next week is take a short break from Romans. And this will be a two-part sermon, beloved. I'm not even going to get through part one today. I'm going to do that in order to briefly explore the issue of pride in general and what the Bible has to say about this utterly destructive and deceptive sin. And listen, I want to say this up front. If you don't think you have a problem with pride, if you think your heart is basically free of this terrible disease, then I hope you will pay even closer attention to today's message because you, my friend, are living in la-la land. And by that I mean you are out of touch with reality. See, beloved, one of the greatest dangers of pride, listen, One of the greatest dangers of pride is that while it is fairly easy for us to spot in others, it can be very difficult for us to see in ourselves. But with the light of God's word applied to our hearts by the Holy Spirit, I trust that we will be able to see ourselves rightly or as we really are. And it is critical for us to see things as they really are because 
If you don't think you have a problem with pride, then you certainly won't take any steps towards dealing with it, right? And consequently, it will continue to wreak havoc and destruction in your life and in the lives of those around you. You with me? Jonathan Edwards, a great preacher and theologian of the 18th century. Ever read him? Google him. Read some of his works. He called pride the worst viper that is in the heart. The worst viper, poisonous snake. He went on to say, it is the most hidden, secret, and deceitful of all lust. Another writer, speaking about pride, said this, There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular, speaking of pride, and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. Beloved, in one sense, having pride is like having bad breath. Often you are not even aware of it, that you have it while those who come in contact with you will not be able to miss it. (laughs) Just another reason, beloved, that we need the church. We need others who care about us and who are willing to say tough things and speak into our lives, right? That's what we need. That's how we change. In his book... Referring to it now, it's called Humility, True Greatness. Humility, True Greatness by C.J. Mahaney. It's a book I want to recommend to you this morning. The author said this, The real issue is not if pride exists in your heart. It's where pride exists and how pride is being expressed in your life. Scripture shows us that pride is strongly and dangerously rooted in all our lives, all our lives, beloved, far more than most of us care to admit or even think about. So this morning I want to go over some, but certainly not all of, not even the ones I've prepared because we're just going to run out of time, of the manifestations of pride, the manifestations of pride in order to not only clear away any thoughts of self-righteousness that you might be harboring in your heart, but to also show you the pervasiveness of pride in our lives and the very real danger that this dreadful disease is to us, okay? But before we do that, I want to say a quick word about pride itself. Both in James chapter 4, verse 6, you can just write these down if you want to look back at them later, and also 1 Peter 5, verse 5, we are told this, God opposes, who do you think God opposes? The proud. I mean, there are a lot more things that I might put there that would come to my mind, but specifically we're told God opposes the proud. One Bible commentator points out that the word opposes in the Greek, in the original language, it's a military term, meaning battle against. Battle against. God battles against the proud. I don't know about you, beloved, but I don't want God battling against me. In Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 
the wisdom of God. And I'm looking forward to, as Thomas continues to take us through this incredible book, the book of Proverbs, I'm looking forward to these sections that he comes to because Proverbs speaks a lot about this very issue. But in Proverbs 8.13, the wisdom of God is personified. It speaks this way. It says, I hate pride and arrogance. Strong words. Proverbs 16.5 adds these words concerning pride. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Another translation of the of the Bible, puts Proverbs 16.5, the first part of it this way, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Feeling good this morning, beloved? Why is God so opposed to the proud? Why is the Lord so against pride and arrogance? Well, beloved, consider with me for just a moment what sinful pride really is, what it really is. Pride is, among other things, pride is haughty self-sufficiency. Haughty self-sufficiency. Do you know what I'm talking about? It looks something like this. I got this. I got this. I don't need God like you people do. Or I don't really need God's help in this particular Manner, matter. You know, I don't, I don't really need it. I'm, I'm good. I'm good, man. I'm good. I got this. I can handle my business. I don't need God's help. And by the way, how does God's help come to us? Well, here's a couple of ways. It comes through prayer. It comes through prayer, right? So often we think prayer or lack of prayer is just laziness. May I suggest to you, it's a matter of pride. How about his word? He offers his help to us through his word. God speaks to us through his word. How many of us struggle with reading his word? Okay. And again, oh, you don't understand. Life is so busy. No, I do. I understand. I understand. And it's every time I want to read the word, I just get so tired. I get that. Certainly. Uh, it's an attack. Certainly. But maybe is it possible that that is where we find God's help? But in our haughty self-sufficiency, we don't seek it. Huh? Or how about his church? God helps through prayer. God helps through his word. God helps us through his church, this local body. And how many say, I don't need the church? Huh? I've listened, beloved. I've heard Christians. Those are, that's in quotes. Say they don't need the church. I don't need you people to live out my Christian life. Now, someone may not say this exactly, but it's this attitude that resides inside of them. I don't need you. I don't need the help of my brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't need to be discipled. I don't need to be instructed. I can figure this Christian thing out on my own. Haughty self-sufficiency. No wonder God is so against pride, beloved. 
And pride is not only arrogant self-sufficiency, but also self-importance. Self-importance, or an exaggerated sense of one's own value, which in turn results in a lack of any real concern for the well-being of others. But God wants us to love one another, right? Be kind to one another. Care for one another. But the proud, self-important heart says, What? What about me? Where's my love at? People should be showing kindness to me. (laughs) I mean, don't they know how important I am? If anybody deserves to be shown love and kindness, it's definitely me. Self-importance, beloved. So guess what? They come undone then when they feel like they've been mistreated. They come undone. This happens all the time in the church because you know what happens in the church? People mistreat each other. I know. It's a shocker. I know. They do. They hurt each other. They wound each other, sometimes intentionally, many times not intentionally. But because of the self-importance, it's like, whoa, you know what just happened? Do you know what they did to me? And again, they may not express it that way, right? They may not express it that way, but that's the feeling. That's in their heart. Some leave the church because some need of theirs wasn't met, or they got overlooked, or someone wasn't nice to them. But not only is pride haughty self-sufficiency and self-importance, but pride is ultimately self-glorification. Self-glorification. The writer of the book says this, that book I refer to, pride takes innumerable forms, as I've been explaining, but has only one end, self-glorification. That's the motive and ultimate purpose of pride, to rob God of legitimate glory and to pursue self-glorification glorification, contending for supremacy with him. The proud person seeks to glorify himself and not God, thereby attempting, in effect, to deprive God of something only he is worthy to receive. No wonder God opposes pride. No wonder he hates pride. Let that truth sink into your thinking. Beloved, pride is essentially self-worship. It is self-worship. It is an attempt to rob God of the glory and honor that is due to him alone. But God will not share his glory with anyone, will he? Huh? He will not. You see now why he is opposed to the proud? Did you know that pride was the source of Satan's downfall? Did you know that? If you've been a Christian a while, maybe you know that. If you're new to Christianity, you may not know that. His fall from heaven, Satan, this glorious, beautiful angel created originally that way, he fell from heaven and it was due to pride. We read it about it in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. I'll read those passages to you just quickly so you get the idea. Verse 12 of Isaiah 14, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, 
I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Also, Ezekiel 28, 17, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. We know in Proverbs 16, 18, we know this passage. Many of us know it, right? Huh? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And it is also pride, beloved, that has led to the ruin and fall of many churches. Hey, just a note. I'm not speaking to this because there's some issue. Like, you know, i gotta, I got to deal with this right now because there's pride is running rampant in the body of Christ here at Summit. Um, no, it is always a threat. It is always a threat. I could speak to this any Sunday and it would be appropriate. One writer says this, show me a church where there's division, where there's quarreling, and I'll show you a church where there's pride. And I would say this, unchecked pride, because there is no church (laughs) without the issue of pride because there is no church without people. Yeah. But unchecked pride, pride that's not being put in its place by the power of God and the Spirit that dwells within us, absolutely leads to quarreling and division and ultimately to the shattering of the very church that Christ laid down his life for. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, pride is a dreadful disease that resides within all of us. A disease that can be characterized as a lofty self-sufficiency, self-importance, and primarily self-glorification. Now, as I promised, I want to spend a little time this morning and, and maybe a little bit the next Sunday considering the different ways that it manifests itself in our lives. By the way, I did not come up with this list of pride manifestations on my own. And, and again, I want to say that because maybe you'll hear me say something and you're like, is he, think, is he talking about me? <laughs> and I, I'm not. I may be, but I may not know that. I don't know. I'm talking to myself first. I've been talking to myself all week, okay? No, someone else came up with the list, okay? So don't blame me for this. It's, it's just if it applies, it applies. Uh, but I'm borrowing it from some good work from... Uh, that other Christians have done on, on the matter. So, are you ready? Are you sure? <laughs> I'm not even sure I'm ready, okay? I'm not even sure. One more note, pride is, and I've said this, I've, I've alluded to this, pride is really the dark and filthy fountain from which all other sin comes forth. I want you to think about that or consider that when we begin to move through the list. Also, if you find yourself listening to this and, and finding a way to escape everything, I'm just going to tell you that's pride. 
If you walk out of here untouched, that's the work of pride. Okay? Number one, a lack of gratitude. I'm going to do these mostly quick. We're going to go through them quickly. A lack of gratitude. The proud person, the self-important person, actually thinks, by the way, I've been guilty of any of these, and all of these probably, I'm going to say, at one point or another, maybe even right now. The self-important person actually thinks they deserve what is good. So when they are shown favor or kindness either by God or by others, they may not respond with gratitude or with sincere thankfulness. That's the issue. We see an example of this in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. I'll show you the passage in verses 24 and 25. It says, there, In those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death, and he prayed to the Lord. Would that be, that's appropriate, right? He sought the Lord's help, and he answered him, and he gave him a sign. And the sign was an indication he was going to help him. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. You know, it wasn't like he forgot. Oops, I forgot. I forgot to, you know. Another uh, translation of the Bible, verse 25, puts it this way. But Hezekiah's heart was proud, and he did not respond to the kindness shown him. The kindness shown to him by God. Or, or one more translation of verse 25, it says it this way. But Hezekiah was ungrateful. He had a proud attitude. Beloved, the ungrateful person is the proud person. And let me just say this. It isn't just a simply, or it isn't simply just an issue of manners, of manners, right? I can teach a child how to respond appropriately when they are shown kindness or someone is generous to them or they receive a good thing, right? What do we tell them to do? We say, thank you right? You didn't say, and we get on them, right? You didn't say thank you. What are you supposed to say? You know, those kind of things, right? That's fine. That's good. We got to, I mean, manners are important in a civilized society, right? But it's more than manners here, beloved. I can teach that child how to say thank you, but never speak to their heart for why they should be thankful. You think you deserve that? You just think you deserve anything good. Pride says, yes, I do. I absolutely do. I was just thinking about, I was thinking about how different the word of God is to the thinking of the world, which you and I swim in on a daily basis, right? I swim in it with you, beloved. What do you hear people say? You deserve, you deserve happiness. You deserve it. And sometimes that's said in the context of a troubled marriage. So if you're having trouble in your marriage, well, you shouldn't have to put up with that. You deserve happiness. Get out. How about a job? I, especially, well, I, gotta, I, need to be, I really need to be careful because I'm moving off notes. This is dangerous. It is. Today it's dangerous. It is. Uh, a lot of stuff's been running through my mind, but... Well, I'm not happy at my job. Not happy. 
Okay. And I deserve to be, it's followed by, many sometimes, I deserve to be happy. I deserve to have a job that, that, that lights me up, <laughs> that makes me want to jump out of bed every morning and run to fulfill my task for the day. I deserve it, man. And, and again, all those things may not be expressed, but it's sometimes the attitude of the heart, Right? How about you just be thankful you got one, man? How about you suck it up and do your job regardless if it's not the one that doesn't light up your world? Are you kidding me? You think that way because you think that intrinsically you deserve the best. Well, that's what everyone's telling you. All your friends are telling you that. You see what I'm saying? The, the Bible's like... It's like in a whole other galaxy, right? The way the Bible speaks compared to the way the world... The world would say, no, absolutely, man. You, you owe it to yourself. You ever heard that? You owe it to yourself. You owe this, this me time to yourself because you're important. Ah, I tell you. By the way, we're not even going to get close to finishing. Not even close. Not even... <laughs> The, but that's okay, because I'm going to ask you to not miss next week. Because I'm going to talk about pride today, but I want to talk about the remedy to it next week. But I'll have to talk a little bit more about pride, because we won't finish it today, all right? So you have to come back. Not that you won't, but be here and invite a friend. Invite a friend. Uh, in fact, beloved, it's not just that, but the proud person may not only fail to give th- thanks but they may even complain or grumble about what they are given. Why? Because they believe they actually deserve something more or something better. Huh? Now, beloved, we see this in our children. (laughs) But let me just ask you to do something. Don't be thinking about anybody else right now. Okay? Don't do it. The temptation is strong, I know. Don't be thinking about anyone else. Just think about you right now for a second. Number two. What was number one? Lack of gratitude. Excellent. Number two, seeing yourself as better or superior to others. That's a give me, right? You would know. I mean, that's definitely a manifestation of pride. Seeing yourself as better or superior to others. The proud person looks down. <laughs> looks down. I want to just give you that visual on those around them because they believe that they are above them. That's what they believe. This is pride. This is a manifestation of pride, that sick, disgusting, terrible, tragic disease that we're all infected with. You know this passage, right? Luke chapter 8, 18. You know it probably if you've been around the church for a while. Jesus tells this parable. He said in the beginning of verse 9, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous pride and treated others with contempt Here's the story. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, religious leader, and the other a tax collector. 
despised by the Jewish people, considered a traitor, lower than low. Verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. Let me just tell you how awesome I am. I give tithes of all that I get. In contrast, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus comments, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts That's lifts or elevates. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted, will be lifted up, will be elevated by God. One writer said this. I like this quote. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. Just listen. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Huh? Let me ask you something. Someone mentioned this. It was a, it was a sermon, a pastor, whatever, and I'd never heard anybody say this, and it, it shot through me like an arrow. I'm like, ooh. He said this, have, concerning that parable, he said this, Have you ever, so this, have you ever heard or read that story, like we just did, the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and thought, you ready? And thought, and I'm going to say proudly in your heart, thought, man, I'm glad I'm not like that self-righteous Pharisee. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You see? All right, so number one was, yeah, black gratitude. Number two, seeing yourself as better or superior to others. Number three, an inflated view of your importance due to your God-given gifts and abilities. An inflated view of your importance. Senior looked up at me, she's like, hey, I can't write that fast. That was the look she gave me. That's why I'm repeating it right now. (gasps) An inflated view of your importance due to your God-given gifts and abilities. Paul says to the highly gifted, highly gifted, but very proud Christians in Corinth. He says this in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, Why do you boast as if you had not received it? The church at Corinth was in a mess, beloved, a mess. And I'm going to say it was was primarily, in one sense, due to pride, arrogance. One writer says this concerning this passage, humility is the only acceptable posture 
of a person in relation to the God who gives a wide variety of gifts on the basis of grace, not because we deserve it or have earned it, and therefore alone is deserving of praise. God is alone deserving of praise. This is crazy, beloved, but this is what pride does. It makes us fools. It makes us crazy that we would boast in a gift that we received. In ourselves. If I'm going to boast, I'd boast in God, but we boast in ourselves. Look at me. Look how awesome I am. Uh, One writer said this, uh, uh, Pastor... He said this, quote, Corey Ten Boom. Do you guys know who that is? Corey Ten Boom. It's not super important to the discussion, but you should check her out. She's gone. I mean, she's a Dutch Christian uh, woman who, with her family, they helped rescue the Jews uh, from the Holocaust. Corey Ten Boom used to tell the story about a proud woodpecker who was tapping away at a at a dead tree when the sky unexpectedly turned black and the thunder began to roll. Undaunted, he went on right on working. Suddenly, a bolt of lightning struck the old tree, splintering it into hundreds of pieces. Startled but unhurt, the haughty bird flew off, screeching to his feathered friends, Hey, everyone, look what I did! Look what I did! And... This writer goes on to say, this old woodpecker reminds me of people who think more highly of themselves than they should. Usually they are so busy bragging about their achievements and their greatness that they fail to recognize God as the source of all their abilities. They are suffering from spiritual delusions of grandeur. Without the Lord, no one amounts to anything. That'd be, a, that'd be a good thing just to put on a postcard or something, or not a postcard, but a three-by-five index card and send it to someone. I don't you know. <laughs> I'm going to send this to myself, 6589 Primrose Place. Then I'll get it, and I'll read it, and I'll remember how proud I am. Uh, without the Lord, no one amounts to anything. That's what the Bible says. See, that's the teaching of the Bible. And in our strength, he goes on to say, we cannot please him. It's not in our strength that we please the Lord, beloved. What are we proud about? Lots of things. All right, a few more. Talking too much or too much about yourself. Listen. Proud people may talk too much because they think that what they have to say is more important than what anyone else has to say. They can tend to dominate a conversation. Or they may find a way to make the conversation about them and their accomplishments or successes. They make sure that others know how cool or good or talented or experienced or even how faithful they are how faithful they are. Let me just say on the flip side of this, it could also, manifestation of pride could also be they don't talk at all. They don't talk at all because they're so concerned to keep up this appearance 
in front of others. They want people to think well of them so badly, and they're afraid that if they say something, that someone else might not think well of them anymore, so they just don't speak. So it goes both ways. But concerning this, talking too much about yourself, what does the Word of God say? Just, just think about this. Proverbs 27.2, this is what it says. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. Hey, that's another one you can write on that postcard and send to yourself. <laughs> one writer says, self-praise is a form of pride, even if it begins with little things such as who you know or where you have been. Well, let's see. What have I covered so far? This is not an exhaustive list, by the way. What was number one? Like gratitude. Two, seeing yourself as better or superior to others. Three, an inflated view of your importance due to your God-given gifts and abilities. Four, talking too much or too much about yourself. By the way, they're in no particular order. Number five. This is a big one, beloved. Unwilling to accept criticism or correction or angered by it when it comes. Unwilling to accept criticism or correction or angered by it when it comes. Again, you know, as parents, I'm sure we can immediately think of our, our children, our beloved children. But just again, don't focus it in on you, okay? And this is really deadly aspect of pride, beloved, because all of us, all of us, all of us, from time to time, need correction. See, it's the proud heart that doesn't think it needs correction. It's the proud heart that won't make itself accountable to those who will provide that correction. And if we were wise, wise, if we were wise, we would even be seeking correction. How about that one? Like, hey, brother, speak into my life, or do you see anything, you know, that's not right, or unchristlike, or am I right? Am I thinking right about this situation? Huh? If we were wise. But the lofty self-sufficiency and self-importance of pride keeps us from pursuing or accepting the very thing we need to grow in Christ. Now consider these verses from Proverbs, beloved. Just consider them. Verse 7, chapter 9. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Proverbs 13.1 A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Wait, stop right there. Boys, did you get that? Okay. Proverbs 15, 12. A scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. 
He won't do it. He doesn't want to be told that he's wrong. Now watch. Why is the scoffer so unwilling to be corrected or criticized? Why? Proverbs 21, 24. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. That's why, beloved. That's why. I'm going to give you the next one, but we're going to stop. Minimizing one's sin or flaws and maximizing others. Minimizing one's sins or flaws and maximizing others. We'll talk about that next week and a few more. Okay? Bow your heads with me as I pray. Father in heaven, may you work even now through some of the stuff that has been said this morning. May you work, may your spirit work within us to kind of just lay our hearts bare before us, Father. Pride is so deceptive, so deceptive. It's not just destructive, it's deceptive. It deceives its host into thinking that they don't possess it. They can see clearly the problem in everyone else. They can see manifestations of pride in everyone else, but in themselves. Pride has a way of blinding us to our own faults. And that is very dangerous for us and for those around us. Father, I pray over these next couple weeks you would, you would do your work, a work that only you can do, that you would open our eyes to the mess that we are. Not just so we can sit back and wallow in that, but that we might then begin to take the steps necessary to root out this evil that exists within. Father, help us. We are so in need of your help. Have your mercy and your grace upon us, Lord. Pour it out in buckets that we might begin to take the steps or Take them again, the steps that we need to attack our pride. Father, we desire these things, hopefully, for your glory. We don't want to rob you of your glory, Father. In pride, we do. But in the Spirit, Lord, we know that is wrong. It is evil. It was vile. So, Father, help us not to be hungry for what belongs to you alone. Work in our hearts, Father. Do your work for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.